Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Uh, I think we've got a good one for you here. We love story. We love the journey of restoration. And anytime I can get somebody on here to share their story with the journey of restoration, I love to do that. And then also find out what they're doing today to help others along their own journey of restoration. Uh, And for that, I have Greg Steer on. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him and then bring him into the show. Uh, Greg Steer is the founder and visionary of Dare to Share Ministries. He is driven to help the church activate Christian teenagers to reach their friends with the gospel. He's written numerous books, articles, and blogs on the topic of teen ministry and evangelism. Uh, Greg is a funny and passionate speaker and evangelist, and uh, he also has the book Unlikely Fighter, uh, sharing his story. We're going to talk a little bit about that, about Greg, his ministry. Uh, Greg, welcome to Gray Story Podcast. Nate, so glad to be a part of it. Awesome. You know, I, I, I was talking to you in the pre-show. I'm almost finished with your book, Unlikely Fighter. I'm telling you, it is a roller coaster. Uh, I found myself cheering for your family at times and then cheering against like, hey, don't treat Greg that way. And then like, yeah. there'd be a story of something they've done. I, it's it's intense to say the least. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the definition of toxic masculinity. I mean, it it was... It was a very dangerous family. And and those of you watching my video, this nose injury did not come from any <laughs> of my family members. I, recent, <laughs> I recently had nose uh, skin cancer removed from my nose. I was a roofer for eight years in Colorado. And so that'll, a lot of skin cancer happening in this beautiful state because it's so sunny. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty intense, but you know, I love the idea of grace story because that's my story, a story of grace. That's my family story. Yeah. Uh, and God, you know, redeems and transforms and it's powerful and it's usually a process. So, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you pick up this book, I'm telling you, you, the, the first several chapters, you describe your uncles, uh, and even their dealings with like the mafia shows up at some point. Um, and they had a nickname for your brothers. What, What was that? Yeah. My uncles. Yeah. They, they call my uncles uncles crazy brothers. Crazy. Yeah. Three of my uncles were completely. Three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver, 6'3", about 250. Uh, the fifth one was a gold gloves boxer, judo champion, war hero, who had five bullet holes and a five-inch bayonet scar to his stomach. Mm. Not, he not only survived, he killed the guy that gave it to him. Uh, so my family were tough. Um, you know, they they were, you know, my Uncle Jack was in and out of jail his whole life, once for choking two cops unconscious at the same time. They were not organized crime. They were disorganized crime. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, when the mafia thinks your family is dysfunctional, it's not good. <laughs> now, my family was extremely dysfunctional, extremely violent. And I was like young Sheldon in the hood. I was not a tough kid. <laughs> and I'm raised in the high, you know, in the highest crime area in crime rate area in our city which is wow. uh, which was north denver at the time and i was terrified a terrified little kid in this very violent family and my mom was the only girl in the group and they were all my uncles were afraid of her she was the <laughs> one sister she used a baseball bat when she fought mm-hmm. and uh she she was as tough as any of them wow. my uncle jack literally who's a you know competitive bodybuilder 
again, he's a guy that choked two cops unconscious at the same time in a serious conversation with me when I was in high school. Goes, hey, you know the key to beating your mom in a fist fight? I'm like, no, I don't want to fight my mom. <laughs> you know the key? I go, no, because you got to fight her like she's a dude. I'm like, okay, I'll remember that. And I don't want to fight my mom. Yeah, I was, I was so, going to ask. It that. was crazy. My family was crazy, man, crazy. So I'm, I'm assuming you've never been in a fist fight with your mother, but uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Through that though, like the violence and and understanding too, you had several brushes with death before you were even out of middle school, um, and including yeah. at at one point in the book, you talk about your your mother almost made the decision to have an abortion when before you were even born. Um, yeah, my my mom met my dad at a party. My biological father. They partied. She got pregnant. He found out he got transferred 2000 miles away. Uh, my, she, my mom didn't want to stand again before strict Baptist parents, my grandparents and give an account for another bad choice. So she got in the car and drove from Denver to Boston to have an illegal abortion. Wow. And, uh, she stayed with my, under the premise of, uh, you know, the pretense of staying with my uncle Tommy and my aunt Carol, my uncle Tommy was stationed in the Navy out there and, uh, they talked her out of it. They, they, over the course of a couple months. So she came back in shame. And I wondered for years why, when she would look at me growing up, she would just burst out in tears. Mm. And I could hear her crying herself to sleep tonight through our apartment complex walls. And when I was 12, my grandma sent me down and told me the whole story that uh, your mom, you know, almost aborted you. My mom, and to the day that my mom died, we never talked about it. She never knew that I knew mm. all this stuff. And I, I didn't tie it into my sermons. I didn't want to shame her. Sure. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was rough. And, and, uh, I, I thought my brother and I had the same dad mm. and whenever he called George Steer, um, he'd say, put your brother on the line. And so I would, and wow. mom would always call him Doug's dad. And I was like, why do you call him Doug's dad? You know? So when I was 12, she's like, well, you have a different father, but she didn't tell me the whole situation and that she almost aborted me. So it was just, you know, a lot of father issues you know and confusion and again everybody around me is bodybuilding street fighters i carry a dictionary and ran like forrest gump to and from school to avoid the gangs it was i was just i was terrified all the time i was always scared so that 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 begs the question for me that you're you're terrified the people in your life that are your first vision of kind of who God is are terrifying to you. Um, you feel like you mentioned in the book, you feel like you don't belong. You, you don't belong here. And then you find out at 12, you know, that maybe you weren't even wanted. Um, and then you come back from that. What does that do to like your God narrative? Like who God is to you at that time? What were your thoughts on God? Well, you know, I, I wasn't one of those that had these bad thoughts about God. I actually thought God was the only good thing in my life. Like, I mean, there were other things, but I mean, God was the main good thing. Matter of fact, my grandparents, you know, you know, her kids had rebelled. Most of them had fully rebelled against God. And they were, you know, they were the crazy brothers of my, my mom, but they took me to Bethany Baptist church. I think out of, out of, you know, conviction and guilt that maybe their kids didn't turn out that great uh, spiritually. And I never forget Mrs. Muirhead gave me this Bible, mm. one of the Sunday school teachers, and I would I would hide underneath the kitchen sink and read it. I would I couldn't understand it. it was King James, but I would just read it with a flashlight, 
and I read it. I, I was underneath the kitchen because sink to get away from the loudness of my family. And I knew the answers were here and I knew God was the answer. I knew his book was the answer, but I didn't know. I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand salvation. I was so nervous. I was going to go to hell because one Sunday school teacher said, well, if you want to get to heaven, you got to ask Jesus in your heart. I'm like, I don't even know what, what does that mean? And what if, what if I ask him my heart, he comes into my liver instead. What if, <laughs> what if I cough too hard? There goes Jesus. If I got a heart transplant, I go straight to hell. And then another Sunday school teacher said, you got to confess all your sins. So I thought if I missed one, I'd go to hell. So I'd confess. And then I drop an F bomb in my mind. I'm like, Oh, I confess that. And I was like, Oh, so I was just nervous. You know, I knew God was the answer, but I didn't know the gospel message. And so, you know, I was just, I was scared of going to hell. I was afraid of, you know, my neighbors because it was a high crime area. My family was intense. I mean, everything about our area was violent. And my thoughts, you know, were violent when it, when it came to, I'm going to go to hell, you know. So I was just a nervous nervous kid yeah we we had on our previous episode episode 80 we talked about scrupulosity kind of that that ocd unwanted thoughts you're always anxious about religion and and am i going to hell and a lot of times when we do that it's it's around people that have been in a church upbringing and they've been kind of groomed into this like works-based, I've got to work, I've got to do better, I can do better, and then those unwanted thoughts. But it sounds like for you, it was almost misinformation that led you to anxiety rather than, you know, being groomed into, uh, I need to work out my salvation. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a typical Baptist church that oftentimes, sadly, um, they give these, you know, almost, they don't, you know, I know Baptists believe in solo fide. I go to a Baptist church, right? Faith alone and Christ alone. But yeah. the way it's communicated, you know, think about, you know, you got to you got to turn from all your sin before you come to Christ. Well, okay, how are you going to do that? Yeah. How do I turn from my sin before I have Christ? I, I come to Christ with all my sin, right? And He transforms me from the inside out. And it just was like, okay, to confess all your sin. Before you come to God, okay. Well, you have to real obviously you have to realize you're a sinner in need of a savior. But if that that becomes e- easily a work, like I have to do this, I have to turn, try, cry, and if I don't do that, then I'm not saved. And so that's the gospel, oftentimes that we're given, and it's a it's a workspace gospel. We come to Christ recognizing we're sinners in need of a savior, totally unable to save ourselves. We kneel at the foot of the cross. We put our faith in Jesus who died for us in our place. That he buried, you know, he was buried, rose again from the dead. And by faith in him, we have eternal life. And guess what? He transforms us from the inside out. And that change happens out of a out of a out of a transformed heart and life. And so I think we really have to be careful in the way that I went back on June 23rd, 1974. All right. I uh I was at Bethany Baptist Church and the preacher Claude Pettit said. Before you get saved, you got to. Uh, before you get baptized, you got to be saved, and that means you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that He was buried, that He rose from the dead, and you're trusting Him alone to save you. And if you've done that, you can be baptized. Well, I, I mean, I had walked the aisle to get baptized because I figured I'd ask Christ into my heart a thousand times, but right there at the front, He's 
he said that. And I, he goes, have you put your faith in Christ? I go, yes. He didn't know it. He had just led me to Christ. Wow. And I told my grandma in the truck, the Ford F-150, and it says, Greg received Jesus Christ as his personal savior oh, on June cool. 23rd, 1974. Yeah. I'm so glad she wrote that down. And I'll be, what, be honest with you. You call it scrupulosity? Yeah. It was like an ice cream place. Um, <laughs> but I never struggled with that after that. I never, I mean, for, and I know some people do. Sure, yeah. But it, for me, it was like that understanding the gospel did so much for my mental health. Mm. Spiritual transformation, but mental health. Because not just there, but also the father issue. Because now I had a dad who adopted me into his family yeah. and it all started clicking in place. And I, 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 you know, I changed that day. I mean, it gave me, not that I still didn't struggle with stuff or whatever, but it gave me a holy, humble swagger <laughs> that I do have a, I do have a purpose. I have a father. I'm forgiven for my sins. And I got to, you know, I think, Young young people need three things: identity, belonging, and purpose. And you mm -hmm. find all that in, in the gospel. Identity, right? As a child of God, you know, belonging with the people of God, and and purpose with the mission of God. And you get those identity, belonging, and purpose taken care of early on. That fixes a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Well, and and. The workspace thing is almost like the the metaphor of trying to get clean before you get in the shower. Like, what that that doesn't even make any sense. And I love as you explain that things coming into place for you is like aha, the aha moment. Like, oh, okay, well that makes sense. I'm just trying to do my best here. Oh, but it's not up to me. That's that's an amazing thing. Um, oh man, it's it's it is transformational, and and I really appeal to pastors, I write a lot of stuff on this and youth pastors to give the gospel clearly. Mm -hmm. Don't bolster it with anything. You make it about me and what I got to do. All of a sudden you're in that same, you know, climb the ladder, the stair, you know, get to climb the ladder yeah. to heaven. The problem is the ladder's too, too long and we got no spiritual limbs. You know, he climbed the ladder down to save us. They died on the cross, and it's so good. I tell people, I said, if your gospel message doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not good, and it's not true. Well, and it's so simple. That's the beauty of it. It's just so simple. It doesn't need to be like so many things in life. If you take the IKEA directions and, and hand them to me, for if I, I, oh I'm goodness. out, I'm out, and I'm probably going to try to do it myself. I'm going to screw it up. But just it's it's so simple. Just one or two steps, three maybe at the most. Um, so you talk about your identity in Christ after that and moving past that. And you talk about that a lot in the book with your identity changed and a lot of your family's identity changed too. They moved away from, Hey, I'm going to be strong in, in the gym, which they didn't stop going, but they said, I'm going to be strong in the word. Um, how yeah. important was it not just for your uncles, but also for you? And you mentioned being under the sink reading, how important was it for you to be in the word for your journey of restoration? Oh man, I haven't, I have never stopped being in it. There's never been a time in my life where I haven't been in the word. I mean, there may have been days that I missed or something, you know, a day or two, but I just, and I'm not trying to say that to, well, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm so disciplined. It's my lifeline. 
I mean, the spirit of God and the word of God, I don't, I don't know how people, I don't know how unbelievers make it without Christ. I don't have believers make it without a, a daily time in his word and in prayer. I mean, you know, he is our everything. He's our hope. You know, we're, we're all, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about therapy. I mean, the Holy Spirit's called the counselor, the paraclete, the one coming alongside to strengthen us. You have the divine counselor. I'm not, and again, I'm not saying don't, sure. it's, it's bad to have a human counselor. I mean, there, there's, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pro, I'm pro biblical therapy. At the same time, we have the counselor with us all the time and we have his handbook right so that's a pretty good deal why would we not take advantage of that well, yeah you have people they'll they'll talk about it and be like you know i i just i've never heard from god and i really want to hear from god on this i'm like thinking in the back of my head as someone too who's like not perfect about getting into the word every day but still like have you opened your bible have you yeah, that's right. See, yeah, that's right. God that's right. is speaking all the time. <laughs> it's right there. It's right. It doesn't even have to be in the words in red. Just just get in there and start. Maybe, you know, don't don't start in some of those heavier lineage uh, chapters, but you know, start in the New yeah. Testament and go from there. Uh, it, they're all. They, you know, I tell people they're all red letters because Jesus inspired them all. It, you you describe your journey from being like that angry kid, and you're in a family with short fuses. Um. Do you still struggle with a like a anger today, or how did that change? Were there practices well, you had to put I, in? I don't think I was an angry kid. Actually, I, I think I mean there was times I was there was times I was angry. I was I think I was an anxious kid mm. early on. Um, angry. I do have a switch that can flip. My you know I mean I I act my whole my whole family we we don't react we act. Like most guys, they build up towards something. I just, go, you know, we just all go in. Now, sure. once we got saved, that started being used more and more toward the gospel. Instead of thinking about sharing it, you know, whatever, they just do it, right? Um, but yeah, once in a while, I have to, I have to just, I have to be careful of that switch that can flip, you know. But, but it's again, I think that's just learning by, you know, a daily declaration of dependence on the Holy Spirit. Wow. Um, that we just, you know, ask and fill us. And when you can, and, and when you sin, everybody sins. It's like that book for kids. Everyone poops, you know, everyone sins. We, we all, we all struggle. Right. Yeah. So what do you do with that? You know, Proverbs says a wise man falls seven times. It rises again. Mm. I think, I think a lot of people fall in the mud and they stay in the shame. They let Satan stick his boot on our face into the mud of shame. Mm. I, you know, I think that's where first John one nine, we confess our sins. You know, that's not to be saved. That's for the saved. You know, we, we confess it, we get up and we're restored. And that restoration is, is, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, people say, well, I thought we were forgiven at the cross. Well, we are, but it's a different, it's a different kind of forgiveness we're talking about here. But before we knew Christ, God was our judge. Now that we know Christ, God is our dad. Yeah. God is our dad. Yeah. And so it's not the forgiveness of a judge to a criminal. It's the forgiveness of a father to a child. Mm -hmm. It's a re relational restoration. And so that father loves you no matter what, right? You're still a part of his family. 
but you want that relationship to be to be restored. So I think learning to do that, you know, get up quicker, confess, move on. And, you know, in the words of the great, you know, theologian Taylor, Taylor Swift, shake it off, just like <laughs> God, let's move on. Well, with that too, I think part of that is, is how you view God. Cause if you, if you're still viewing him as a judge, you're going to be like, Oh yeah. man, I need to hide this. Cause I don't want, I don't want to suffer the consequences. But if it's a dad, you know, has love that can't be severed, then all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, I, I screwed up. I, I need to go talk to God. Like that's a yeah, huge difference. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's, it's, it really does. I mean, change the way we, we view God, God, but also our lives. And I think it impacts our joy. Mm. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a very joy filled guy. I love life. I'm always joking around and it's because I'm saved. There's no condemnation. I mean, there's no condemnation. And again, not that I don't ever struggle. I'm not saying that, but I'm just talking about just the overall movie of my life, not just individual frames. It just, and I think that should be the case for us as believers, as we begin to understand our salvation, you know, and that's why I think with there, any kind of therapy, which again, I'm not, you know, uh, anti-therapy, I'm, I'm pro-therapy. Um, but I really think it's got to have as its basis and foundation, the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because, you know, human psychology will only get you so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, uh, there's tips and tricks and ideas and disciplines that are helpful and medications and all, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that, but ultimately, you know, repentance, a change of mind and perspective, you know, comes about, you know, through, I mean, biblical truth and theology mm-hmm. and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is in the transformation business. He doesn't just reform, he transforms. Yeah. And you talk, you talk about the forgiveness from the Father and the transformation that comes from that. But also in your book, you, I think it's chapter 14, maybe, or no, 18 in Tim, Timber. You talk about the yeah. importance of forgiveness there from a different perspective of being able to forgive your dad. Can you take us to that moment, kind of walk us through that and maybe talk about how learning to forgive someone who hurt you or was absent actually helped you? Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, when I found out this story from my grandma about my, you know, I, I found out a story from my ma about, you know, my biological father from my grandma about me being almost boarded. Mm. I was really angry um at my biological father uh, even though i found out a while later he had died years earlier um people would ask me what are you going to do if you ever find your dad i said i'm going to kill him you know so here i am i mean on fire for christ but i got this this little box of bitterness and unforgiveness and family you know my my old family kind of little thing you know, to where I I wanted to just, you know, I knew where grandma kept the 357 Magnum. It was in her purse. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted to kill him. And I was at a, believe it or not, a Bill Gothard mm. uh, conference where, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that 
now I look back and I'm like, okay, sure. Um, not so much, but there was some stuff in there that was really transformative. Mm -hmm. And one of it was on forgiveness. Like he literally talked about forgiving your fathers. And he said, you know, and I'm sitting there with, you know, I don't know, 5,000 teenagers at the Denver Coliseum. We went as a Christian school there. They made us go. Or they gave us the option. I forget. Strong. You want to get your you fundamentalist put, brownie points, you, you should go. You put so, it in the book as strongly encouraged, and that meant strongly staying on the good encouraged. side. <laughs> yeah, staying on the good side. So anyway, I'm sitting there, and with you know all my you know classmates, and he starts talking about, listen, no, no matter what your father has done to you, it's nothing compared to what you have done to your heavenly father. Mm. And he told the parable about Jesus, uh, that Jesus told about, uh, the man who owed millions to his master and the master, you know, is going to throw him in jail, but he begs for forgiveness and he sets him free. And then that same slave goes out and finds another slave who owes him like 20 bucks or something. Mm. And, uh, and then the master hears, Hey, you know, okay, you know, you, you, you wouldn't forgive, uh, him, even though I forgave you, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you in prison. And it really struck a chord in me that I, I need to forgive my father. And it, I mean, I got shook. Mm. Uh, and everybody else is quietly taking notes. You can hear the pencils, you know, the sound of the pencil, the homeschool and Christian school, well-behaved <laughs> kids. And I screamed out, Father, I forgive you. Wow. And I started bawling my eyes out. And all, you know, my classmates are like, what the heck has happened this year? Well, I just... I had to and right there was now I had to do it a thousand times. It was, you know, wasn't just one and done, mm. but the first time was the hardest, you know, and I knew, I knew now whenever that bile of unforgiveness would come up, mm. confess it, forgive them. Keep wow. moving. That That's powerful right there. That's powerful. Cause I, I think sometimes we do think of forgiveness as a action that is one and done, but the way you describe it, I mean, the the heart's still there. The memories are still there. You don't just get to, you're yeah. an emotional human being made in the image of God with those emotions. Like they're there to signal the hurt or, or a memory might come up, man, that's an action. I'm just like dying to self daily is wow. Yeah. We're not, we're not Vulcans. You know, <laughs> I believe he said, forgive everyone, captain. Complete. I mean, no, we, yeah. I mean, we're, we're more like Kurt, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> Yeah, strongly emotional people, and we have to deal with that. And but you, you know, Satan will use unforgiveness and bitterness mm -hmm. to trap people. You know, when when Paul writes to the Corinthians and said Corinthians, he says, you know, you need to forgive this man because we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. So Satan's scheme is to get a toehold or a foothold in your life, and that's a wrestling term. Like you just. You get somebody in a leg lock, right? Mm -hmm. I know this from my family, or an arm bar, <laughs> right? Well, Satan, he gets you, he gets you in this foothold, this leg lock of unforgiveness, and he debilitates you. Wow. So you have to forgive. Yeah. You have to. And again, if you don't feel like you can, just go to the cross and look at Jesus. Imagine him, creator of the universe, torn and shredded. Saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm. Perspective. And, with, I mean, you got to have people around you, too, 
to help you, to remind you to uh, close people. And you talk about that too. And I think it's chapter 14, talk about the importance of you were a part of a secure community finally. Um, yeah. How important was community to you? And how did you find good, solid, secure community on your journey? So I'll just give you, so here's what happened to my family. I need to kind of give a little back, back it up sure. a little bit. Yeah. My uncle Jack, the one who went to jail for choking two cops out, just the toughest guy I've ever met. Stinking looks like the Wolverine, but bigger. Um, he, uh, there was a hillbilly preacher nicknamed Yankee who planted a church in the suburbs of Denver, Arvada, Colorado. And a guy named Bob Daly went to his church. And Yankee would always talk about reaching people for Christ. Well, Bob wanted to reach my family for Christ. He knew my uncles, knew my mom, knew my grandparents. But he was too afraid to share the gospel with my Uncle Jack, who was the toughest one of my uncles. So he dares Yankee. And Yankee goes to his house, knocks on his door on a Saturday morning. My Uncle Jack came to the door, no shirt on, tats everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spitting chew. Don't <laughs> like this. What do you want? And uh, Yankee said, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. He goes, well, I don't know Jesus. I know Bob. I'll give you five minutes. <laughs> Explain the gospel. Grace. Saved by faith alone. Jesus came for sinners. Wow. My Uncle Jack had never. My uncle, my family just figured they're going to hell. They might as well have fun because they, they didn't try to pretend like they were righteous. They knew they were not. But it never heard the gospel. Yankee said, does that make sense? My Uncle Jack said, hell yeah. That was a sinner's prayer. It was hell yeah. He trusted Christ, <laughs> dove into the word, went to Yankee's church. My Uncle Bob uh, came to Christ in the back of a squad car, actually surrendered him. He was a he actually believed in Christ as a kid, but really went all in in the back of a squad car after he beat a guy to death. Thought he was going to go to jail for the rest of his life. All this stuff started happening. They get involved in Yankees Church. Well, I get saved. I eventually get involved with Yankees Church. Well, all of a sudden there's a community. There's a youth ministry called Christian Youth Ranch. We had 800 kids in the youth ministry, only 300 adults in the church. Yankee believed in the power of the gospel and the potential of young people. And all of a sudden I got it. I got that belonging. I got that community and man, it was like West side story, man. I found my gang. Right. <laughs> and I knew my enemy and it was Satan mm. and the lies he'd been telling all these other kids. And so I'm like, we're going to go to gang warfare. And so I just, I just viewed it as a different battle, but a battle that I was, I could be a leader in, you know, the other kind of one, the literal ones, no, not me, <laughs> but the, this one, I'd be like, yeah. And so, man, it changed, it changed the way I, you know, view, you know, identity, belonging, and purpose, the belonging, I still to this day, I mean, we have a crew, it's called the Gospel Advancing Network, thousands of youth leaders across the United States and around the world are part of it, but we have an inner, inner crew, too, of people that are friends that we do this work with, and I have an inner, inner crew, um, mm. people that have my, what I call the red phone, uh, I remember the old Batman in the 60s or whatever, they had the red phone, not the it wasn't the the spotlight. It was a red phone when they needed a Batman. Well, when I'm struggling spiritually or with lust or pride or whatever, I have a handful of guys that I can call at any time, and they can call me at any time. Mm. And we're open and honest with each other about stuff. I think we have to have that sort of stuff. Confess your sins to one another, you know, that you may be healed. And uh, I heard somebody put it this way: We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess to each other for healing. So we, we have to have people in our lives that we can be open and honest with and vulnerable with. 
I love that. And especially, and it makes me want to dig, dig deeper there talking about the importance of being intentional in your relationships. How do you, how, how have you cultivated those meaningful connections with others? Is it just like you meet a kindred spirit or like do you seek people out? How does, how does that happen? Well, we're on mission together. So mm. like I got a guy named Zane Black. He's, he, uh, he and I have been working together for 18 years at Dare to Share. He's got his own ministry, but he's kind of a young guy that I poured into. And now he's actually, he's doing the speaking on Winter Jam, the Winter Jam tour. But wow. he and I talk every week. Another guy named Dave Gibson, who is uh, my spiritual mentor. He's a missions pastor out of uh, Eden Grace Church at Eden Prairie and the best one-on-one evangelist I know. I want to be like him someday. Um, then I, you know, I got another buddy named Gerard Gunter from inner city Memphis that we do ministry together and others. I mean, Reed Saunders, my buddy out in Portland, he's an evangelist. We talk, I mean, I just, yeah, you got to talk to people, you know, you have to take time to cultivate these relationships and we're with each other. It's not just all over the phone. So, you know, I think you have to have that. We're not, we're not meant to be lone rangers. You know, we're meant to be the Avengers. You know, we fight together, right? Well, I like if that. you don't have that, you can't. You can't win. Yeah, I like that because also the the metaphor. Everybody has their own skill in that, uh, and their own way of contributing to the team. Uh, on your books, uh, I, I like to ask this question of authors: What's maybe your favorite part of the book, uh, Unlikely Fighter? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I like the last chapter. Like, I like it all. I mean, it's it's all part of the story. Um, my mom, leading my mom to Christ was a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of my favorite in the first part. But the last chapter really shows, and what I love about the last chapter, it shows how all those strands of redemption have come together. So there's 22 chapters. The first 21 happened before I turned 16 years old. So the last chapter is kind of a catch-up chapter. And uh, between, you know, the time I was 15 to the time my ma was in hospice and how much had happened, and that was actually 20 years ago, so how much has happened in that time that time frame and how I would not change a thing. I would not, if I could go back, and I know this is, not everybody would be able to say this, and that's fine. I'm just saying personally, I would not have changed one thing if I can get a time machine. God redeemed it all. Mm. And now I use that. I minister to teenagers with Dare to Share. So we've been at privilege to train millions of teens all around the world how to share the gospel, provide tools, resources, free curriculum. We do a free annual event called Dare to Share Live. We make so much free because I was a poor kid. That couldn't afford camps and different things like that. And so I, we don't want any, we don't want finances to stand in the way. So, so much of what we do is free. 90% of what we offer is totally free. Um, but we're able to tie in these truths of the power of the gospel to young people because we need adults getting it too. But man, it's harder with adults. The concrete hardens uh, over time. And with teens, you can and children, you can really set. You know, when, in concrete work, uh, you set the forms and pour the cement, right? Well, in children's ministry and youth ministry, we really get to set the forms for their life. 
Because once you pour that cement and it hardens, the challenge with adults is you, you need a jackhammer and a wheelbarrow first. <laughs> you cart all that stuff out, mm-hmm. and then you set the reset the forms and pour this wet cement. So it's a the younger they are, the the easier it is. Not that we give up on adults, mm-hmm. but I focus primarily on teens because concrete's still wet. Well, you talk about your you found your purpose there, and and, and it's dare to share. Um, can you tell us more about, I, I do have another, I know we're almost out of time here, but um, I do have another question for you. But before I talk about that question, can you tell us more about Dare to Share and then maybe where we can find out more about you uh, and your ministry. Yeah. Yeah, Dare to Share, we exist to energize the church, to mobilize youth, to gospelize their world. And our vision is every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend because we believe the best one to reach a teen is a teen. And so that means we need to coach and equip. So we provide tools and resources to youth leaders and parents and pastors so that teens can be equipped to share the gospel. We do curriculum, uh, an annual event called Dare to Share Live, which is a global event in English and Spanish, where students are equipped and mobilized for the gospel. And then summer full week training is called Lead the Cause, which is like our Navy SEALs boot camp. Mm. And then tons of other stuff. But yeah, that, that kind of sums it up. You go to daretoshare.org. And it's a number two, dare2share.org. And then my personal blog is gregsteer.org. And it's S-T-I-E-R, gregsteer.org. And I do a podcast called the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast that, you know, I've written several books. I've never taken a dime for any of the books I've written. It all goes back to mobilize teens for the gospel. And are there, are there ways that uh, people, if they're listening, you're like, oh, I, I love the story, but then I hear about your ministry. Uh, that resonates with me. Are there ways that I can get involved? Oh, yeah. If you just go to the dare to share.org and there's a button there, you can find different ways from prayer to, to donating to actually putting it into practice in your own church and youth ministry or your own family. Youth Parents are the ultimate youth, youth leaders, mm-hmm. right? So, uh Put it into practice with your own kids. I love it. All right. So I do, I highly encourage people to, I have a couple chapters left in your book. I was telling you in the pre-show, um, but man, what I've read so far, it's, it's an easy read. It's a fantastic read. Um, and it's, it's worth getting. Um, and a lot of he's <laughs> Greg, you've just touched the the tip of the iceberg on some of your family story that you share in the book. So if you want more, uh, certainly go get the book and, and visit Dare to Share. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for you on that. Um, before we go, though, I always like to give the guest an opportunity to speak directly to the listener. Um, yeah. And, and and maybe from Greg today, there might be somebody that's had a childhood similar to yours or, you know, they've been through a different type of adversity. They want to do great things for God or they want they they feel that there's more they can do. Um what would you say to somebody who's struggled or is on the journey of restoration and is looking for purpose, looking for identity, looking for all that? What would that be from Greg? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would say, you know, make sure you do have that confidence in Christ. You, you know that God created you to be in a relationship with him and that, yes, your sins, our sins separate us from him because he's a perfect and holy God and sins could never be removed by our good deeds. Uh, it's like putting white frosting on a burnt cake. So that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place for our sin. And he was buried, he rose from the dead, and everyone 
who trusts in him alone has eternal life because Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross with his own blood. And that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's a personal, permanent relationship with the God of the universe that can never be broken by you and will never be broken by him. And that's not a license to sin. That's a reason to serve Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and might uh, because you're grateful. So start with the gospel and never leave it behind. Remind yourself of the gospel every day. Somebody once said, I preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. And with that in mind, you cannot lose. You can walk through life with holy, humble swagger, knowing that your dad is going to guide you every step of the way. He's got great things for you. And you may be, I was a roofer for eight years. You know, for eight years, God used me on the roof. Now I'm a preacher. God uses me as a preacher. We all have the same job, and that's to stand the post that God has given us. And we need to do it faithfully so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. All of us are going to are equally loved by God, but man, I do want to hear, well done. I've never heard, well done, son, mm. from an earthly father. I want to hear it from my heavenly father. So take joy in your salvation and go for it. I love it. And I can tell you're on mission with that because even through this, as you're telling your story or you're mentioning your ministry, uh, you've actually shared the gospel many, many times in this episode. Um, and I love that. It's just, it seems to be just a part of your conversation and your vernacular. Um, so, and preachers, any preachers listening to this right now, you should be given the gospel in your sermons consistently parents to your kids, you know, I mean, it's good news. You know, it's not bad news. It's good news. So share it, share it, and declare it with love and humility. And just as much as when you heard it for the first time or the second time or the third time, you don't know when it's actually going to sink in and hit. Uh, I know you mentioned your mom that time that you were able to help lead her to Christ. That wasn't the first time she'd heard it, but you say in the book. No, it took three years. It took three years. Yeah, of she, relentless gospel conversations. And I loved it though, because if you get if you get the book for no other thing than to just go to that chapter, when she says, "All right," after you push, she says, "All right, explain it to me one more time," and it's just that one more time. Uh, so hey, hey, and and you and you know this, Nate. It's unlikely fighters on Audible, and I, I had the privilege because you're listening to it. I, I had the yeah. privilege of re, you know recording it myself in the studio, so that was kind of fun. So. Again, encourage people to think about uh, picking that up. And also maybe one for somebody you know that doesn't know Christ because the gospel's given again and again, but in story form in that book. So Yeah, sneak it up on them. Just tell them it's a really good story and because it, it is. It's a really good story. So, all right. Well, hey, we're out of time. But, Greg, thank you for coming on the show, sharing about your ministry, your life, um, and sharing the gospel. Appreciate it. Thank you, Nate. And for you guys out there listening, uh, thank you so much for joining in again on the conversation. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, give us a follow, tap a five-star rating, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow and hit that notification bell to never miss an episode. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged, continue on your journey of restoration. We'll see you in two weeks for another episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you.